Well, good evening, everybody. How are we doing tonight? We're doing woo. All right, that's good. My name is Lyle. I'm one of the pastors here. Just want to say uh, thanks for joining us at Element City Church. If you're joining us online, we want to welcome you. Uh, and just uh, for those who are tuning in online, want to let you know that there's a host that's in that chat box right below. So if you have questions, if you need prayer or anything, feel free to reach out through there uh, as well. Um, we've got the Element City Church app. That's a great place to be able to stream the services if you're never able to make it. So we just invite you to download that. That's available in the Google Play Store. That's in the App Store as well. Uh, most of our folks do their giving through that. Uh, you can look at playlists through there. You get all the message notes. Um, so lots of reasons, uh, events, upcoming events, all that stuff is, is inside the, the church app as well. Uh, and then for those of you who are new, if maybe it's your first time joining us, uh, I know I already met one person. Should I do the old Southern Baptist thing where we like call out the people? No, I'm kidding. That's terrible. That one person right now is just like, oh, Lord. Um, yeah, wouldn't do that to you, I promise. All right. So if you're new, uh, we've got a 10-minute party that's going to be going on in the back of the room, and we'd love to meet you back there after the service. So uh, we've got a connection card that you can fill out if you want to get better connected here at Elements. Uh, we've got a free gift for you if you want to do that. It is the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon. This side of the Grand Canyon. See, everybody knows that's how legendary this kettle corn is. And if you're joining us online, uh, there's a button that you can click to fill out that connection card or you can text the number 520-340-6868. There's a link that you have to tap before you can fill in a, a couple pieces of information. Uh, and then once you submit that to us, that lets us Facebook stalk you and do all the weird stuff online that everybody does these days. So that's a joke. Four of you thought that was funny. We'll retire that one. All right, moving along. We've got communion that's going to be happening tonight as well. So hopefully for those of you here in the room, as you made your way in, there's uh, two tables on the way in where you can grab that. If you didn't get a chance to grab that and you want to sneak back there during worship to do that, go ahead and, uh, and do so. I think somebody will probably bring them down to uh, in the middle of the message. Uh, but if you're at home, uh, maybe you've got some bread, some grape juice or wine, uh, or uh, Mountain Dew and Doritos. Whatever you need to use, uh, you can grab some stuff because we're going to be doing communion at the end of the message. So we just want to give you the heads up so that you can be ready for that. Sweet. The Church of the Week this week is Valley Christian Church. That's who we're going to be praying for and their pastor, Jesse Craig. In fact, uh, our good friend Dan, who's running sound, used to be the worship leader at Valley Christian back in the day. So we've got some connections to that church. We did a worship night back there way back when. Uh, I don't even know if anybody would even remember that who's in the room right now other than those who played at it. So uh, I want to invite you all to stand with us. Uh, we're going to sing a couple songs. Uh, we're going to uh, hear a message from Pastor Jack. We'll sing a song after that. We'll call it a night. But let's begin with a word of prayer as we pray for Valley Christian Church and pray for tonight. So Lord, uh, we thank you for the work that you want to do in this service tonight. We thank you for the chance to gather as a church to lift up the name of Jesus. And your word says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he's Lord. And so that's what we choose to do tonight. We choose to give you all the glory and all the praise. That's why we gather under your name. We want to lift up Valley Christian Church. We pray for them and their pastor, Jesse. We ask God uh, for favor over them, that you would bless them. I know that uh, they're looking to get uh, their, their youth program going again and so many kids in the area that they want to reach out to. So would you give them all the vision, all the direction that they need, God? Would you help them uh, raise the funds that they need to be able to do the ministry that you're calling them to do? We thank you uh, just for the partnership that we've had with them in the past uh, and the connections that we have at that church, God. And we just thank you that uh, churches around Tucson can be united can be supporting each other, can be praying for each other. It's a privilege that we get to do this, God, to remember that you're at work, not just here in our lives and here at Element City Church, but God, you're at work in the city, in other churches. Lord, you're at work in the state. 
and really it should encourage our hearts that you're at work all around the world. And so even now, as we begin to worship you, Jesus, in song, uh, we just get to join into the song that's everlasting, the song that's always going on, not just in heaven, but has been going on um, before us, just as this world is rotated. Uh, we, we get to join into the chorus of praise from the saints that gets lifted up to you tonight. So Jesus, thanks that you uh, want to move in this time. Would you open our hearts uh, just to receive what it is that you have for us tonight in this time? And we pray it all in the precious and the holy name of Jesus. Everyone said, amen. under one name tonight. Nations bow, mountains shake at the sound of just one name. Over all, Jesus rings. I know, I know. Sing that again. Nations bow, to shake at the sound of just one name over all Jesus reigns. I know. That's right, Psalm 24 says, Who is the King of glory? The King of glory is the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And that's who we worship tonight. That's who we sing to.
it all comes down to this What you require of me Love my neighbor as myself And you above all things Act justly Love mercy Walk humbly With you
Jesus. Let that be the confession of our heart tonight. We would believe those words to be true and not just believe them, but live them out with the faith and hope that you are the wonder-working God. There are people in this room who've walked in tonight carrying burdens that they were never meant to carry by themselves. And yet we have a God who has compassion on us, a God who loves us, who reaches down into the depth of our depravity, into the, the moments of despair, into the moments where we feel defeated, the moments of brokenness, the moments of hurt, the moments of doubt, the moments of pain. And yet, despite what you see, Lord, you, you love us enough to lift us from those places. You love us enough to want to carry those burdens with us and to carry us through those seasons of life. That's what your word tells us, that when we come to you, we're not promised a perfect life free of, of pain or any suffering, but you do promise that you'll be with us in the midst of all of it. And so there are people in this room tonight, God, who need a miracle. They need to experience your wonder-working power. Would this be a place, would this be a time and a moment in their life that they could do so, God? Whether it be through a line in a song, whether it be through a line in Jack's sermon and his message, something in the Bible that we read tonight, whatever it is, God, you move in so many ways. And so I believe that tonight, God, that you want to step into somebody's life and just wreck shop. You want them to experience you in a powerful way. And so we're just praying, Holy Spirit, would you have the freedom to do what you wanna do in this time? Would you anoint Pastor Jack with his message, the words that he's here to share tonight, God, that they wouldn't just be his own, but they would be words from your very heart, meant to speak to our heart. And so we love you, Jesus. We thank you for this time that we get to worship you, that we get to lift you up, and we get to experience your presence uh, in this place. We pray that it would just continue through the message. It would continue as we gather to worship again at the end. All of it's for your glory. All of it's for you. We pray in your holy and precious name. Amen. Just one second. All right. Um, it's so good to always gather to worship together, whether you're joining us online or here in the room. It's a thrill to, to be together every Sunday. We hope it's kind of, we, we often jokingly kind of, we hope it's this kind of spiritual pit stop uh, to kind of jumpstart your week and to get you rolling and get you going uh, with God. And so we, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, have been taking this whole entire summer to go through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And guess what tonight is? It's Sunday, yes, uh, but guess what tonight is? It's the last Sunday of this sermon series. Like, you have made it through, uh, and maybe you've missed a few and you were traveling, you can always catch up online, uh, but if you have the app, and if you have your phone, you can open up the app, you can go down to Sermon Notes and follow along with us tonight, but tonight we are in the very last phrases, the last few verses of what Jesus is laying out in this Sermon on the Mount, and what's fascinating, what you have to understand, if we just kind of zoom out a little bit from Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, what you have to understand is, Jesus is a rabbi of his day. 
And every rabbi, what their part of their goal and their role was is to interpret the law. And Jesus, that is what he is doing here in the Sermon on the Mount. He's interpreting the law. He's kind of laying out some declarations to say, here's how you live following the law of God. Here's how you live and find life with God, have life with him. And so this is the promise. This is the challenge that you are to go about. This is how you're to be. And he starts off saying, listen, blessed are you. Remember, we went through the Beatitudes a couple years ago. And if you didn't know, if you've just been around here for a long time, in fact, if you're brand new, maybe you didn't know this, but in the last nine and a half years, we have gone through every gospel account in the scriptures. That's pretty cool. Like, we're finishing it tonight. Like, that's crazy. Only teachers like me get jazzed and excited about that. I understand. Uh, but we have been on this journey that maybe you didn't even know about. And so we have been on this, and what Jesus is saying, listen, blessed are you. And he kind of rolls through what we, what we know is the Beatitudes. It's the start of Matthew chapter 5. What's fascinating is if you go back and read Psalm 1, this actually has a lot of correlation to it. In fact, most scholars believe this is where Jesus is pulling this flow from. So like when he stands up to do the Sermon on the Mount, there has to be a flow to it. It's not just random riffing. It's not like rapper Jesus in this moment. It's like he's just kind of laying some things out. And most scholars will say he's actually tying back to Psalm 1, which is a psalm that's all about here's what it means to live and have a love and a delight for the law of God. And so Jesus is now wanting his people to have an interpretation and understanding of that, to have a deep love for the law of God. And it's not just the law is like this stand-aside thing, because the law was meant to pull you into a relationship with God. It was meant to have you grow a connection with God. And so Jesus follows Psalm 1. Psalm 1 starts with a blessing. Here's the blessing of those who pursue after God, who, who love his law, whose their heart delights in it. And Jesus said, blessed are you. And it wasn't blessed are you if you work really hard. In fact, what he was really doing was saying, this blessing is available to any and all. And it was radically different than people laying out an agenda that you had to achieve and work your way up to because the ending of the Sermon on the Mount is radically different than just an interpretation of the law. In fact, you walk through the Sermon on the Mount, if you just look at it from a 30,000-foot view, what you're going to see is Jesus saying, listen, um, Anyone's invited into life with God. But here's how you experience it. You've got to have a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees. And everybody right there would be like, well, pff, I'm out. Um, like, there's no way for us to do that. But Jesus is like saying, listen, but here's the good news. It's not up to you to fulfill the law. I've come. I have come to fulfill the law. In fact, he says in Matthew 5, 17, don't think I've come to destroy the law or to replace it. I have come to fulfill it. Now listen, that is a radically bold statement if you really think about it. No other rabbi is saying that. You want to know why Jesus ends up going to the cross? Because he ruffled feathers. He pushed back against the system of the day. And in this whole entire sermon, what Jesus is saying, I've come to fulfill the law on your behalf. You are to find life in me. He's taking it out of a religious concept or construct, and he's putting it on a personal level to himself. That's why so many people will talk about Christianity, is it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And we really do mean that. 
It's not a religious system that you follow the steps and check the boxes and everything goes better. Listen, there is an aspect of discipline that's in that that's good for any and all of us, and we all exercise discipline in the things that we want to achieve. And so there's an aspect of partnership in that, but that is not the end game. The end game is that we trust in the one who says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill it. And then he begins to lay out the rest of this whole entire message that we spent the summer investigating. What Jesus is saying, radical things from all kinds of different things from like, okay, you've heard it said, like, hate your enemy. I'm telling you, love your enemy. Do you think that's hard? Hello, yeah. Um, He's got radical things to say. And so he's calling us to a righteousness that you and I cannot achieve on our own. But listen, he is. He's going to fulfill it. The, The fascinating thing about this entire sermon is not so much the content of what he says. That's amazing. It's radical and it would change the world if people actually began to live it. What's radical is that Jesus says, I've come to fulfill it. The hope of all of this is in himself. It's the teacher of the sermon, which is what he's wanting you to be captured by. Not the sermon itself. It's the teacher of the sermon that he wants you to be captured up by. And then he begins to go in and he kind of shares. um, Psalm 1 kind of ends with this story, this little parable. And this is what the end of Psalm 1 says. The wicked are like chaff that are blown away in the wind, but the righteous are like a tree planted by rivers of water that bear fruit in all season. Jesus ends with a parable at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And he tells a story. A lot of Jesus' stories are are two stories kind of told side by side. And that's what we're going to see tonight as Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount with this parable of two stories that are unfolding, and there's a lot of similarities, and there's a few differences. And so I I just want us to unpack that and go, okay, what's the application for us tonight? So here it is, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 29. We'll read it together. Therefore, Jesus says, therefore, when you always have to ask, therefore, what's it there for? Like, everything he's said for the last two chapters, therefore... Okay, now he's going to launch into the story. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. He takes the parable of Psalm 1 at the end, and it kind of makes it a little more dramatic, and he ends with the parable. And then Matthew records what happened after he finished the sermon. It says, verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. They noticed a difference. There was something intriguing about the teacher of the sermon and what he was saying and who he was claiming to be that was different than just, okay, he gave his his take on the law. There was something different about it. Jesus is affirming this parable. This is a messianic sermon. This is a messianic parable. This is pulling to this fact that Jesus is identifying himself as the Messiah. 
I've not come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill it. And the hope of everything is right here. It's in me. Build your house, build your life here on my words. Here's how you do it. You build and you actually put it into practice. You don't just hear it, you actually begin to do it. Jesus is boldly affirming his words, that his words are faithful and true, and that on him is the safe place to build your life, to build your identity, that his words, his character, back up what he's saying. It's a parable of truth and durability and the faithfulness of the teacher himself. Uh, Pennington, who's one of the scholars we've been studying with this as we've been working our way through it, has this incredible quote to kind of help us get our mind around what is Jesus really getting at here. He says, it's important to note the radical Jesus-centeredness that undergirds the closing exhortation of this Sermon on the Mount. Jesus does not say that the wise and foolish are distinguished according to how they obey God or how they practice Torah or how they follow the teachings of the elders. Jesus emphasizes that the wise and foolish are distinguished on the basis of how they respond to his words. While Jesus is certainly present as both a prophet and a sage, he is also repeatedly offers himself up as more than just those two roles. He is the true and final source of revelation itself. His hearers are invited to build the foundation of their whole lives upon his teaching and a way of being in the world. He is presenting himself as the authoritative arbiter of God's revelation and the path to human flourishing. Friends, I cannot understate this. I cannot overstate it. What Jesus is saying here is radical. It's huge. Uh, What he's saying is, listen, it's not about a religious system that we set up and that you go and obey it. Everything finds its focal point in me. You be one who listens to my words and put them into practice, and you will flourish. Now, you can choose not to, and you will be choosing not to flourish. That is what he is saying. The focal point, the pinnacle, he is saying, he's putting it on himself. You want to find life? Follow Jesus. You want to flourish? Follow Jesus. You want to live life eternal? Trust in Jesus. He is calling people to himself, not a religious system. And so he unfolds this story. It's two stories. Uh, There's two people. uh, They have a lot of similarities. We just read it. And so just to refresh your mind, he's saying, listen, every single one of you is building a house. In essence, you're building your life. It is your house project. You're building your entire life. And you are the one who chooses to be a builder. Everyone's in it. It's an all skate. We're all building something. You're building your life. And and some things are going to unfold in that. You cannot escape that fact. You're building based on your relationships and your value systems, your philosophies of life. And, And maybe the houses we build would be different in different ways and different aspects in that. He's saying each house, each life is going to face a storm. There's no, there's no negotiables about that. No one gets to skate past that. Everyone is going to face a storm. You're going to be a builder, and you're going to face a storm. That is the reality of what is laid out in our life. And he understands it, and he kind of lays it out identical. Listen, the rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew, beat against the house, and in one story it stands, and in one story it crashes with a great crash. Each house will face a storm. It's not a parable about weather. 
This is not a parable about weather. This is not a parable about, okay, uh, storms per se. What it's saying is, listen, you are building your life. Storms will come. What will help your life stand? Well, there's some variables to that. Each house is going to face these storms. What Jesus is saying, listen, you need to build your life on the foundation of me, on my words and who I am. I'm the rock. I'm the sure foundation. Build your house here. Jesus is laying out this parable. It's a very messianic parable. He's pointing to himself. I cannot understate that or overstate that. It is all about him. Matthew's comment actually helps us understand the significance of this. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were what? They were appreciative. Good job, Jesus. Nice sermon. That was nice. Wow, that was a lot longer. That took three days. Um, you know, no one, what was it? The text says they were astonished. This wasn't, hey, good job. I appreciated that. That's awesome. No, no. It woke them up. They were woke in this moment of like something is different here. This is not like I'm used to. There is something different going on here. Maybe I can't put my finger on it yet, but Jesus, this is if they were astonished at his teaching. He taught as no one around him. Jesus spoke many other times in Matthew. This is the only time recorded in the Gospel of Matthew that people, uh, we notice the audience's response. That's imperative. It's important for us to see that. That in this part, the Lord is affirming that his words are faithful and that we can rightly build our lives upon him as the foundation. The wise man is the one who hears my words and what? And puts them into practice. And so this parable has a couple different things. The, the question it's really asking is, what are you building your life on? Because you are building your life. Uh, what is the foundation? What are you building your life upon? Is it your career? Is that the paramount thing of you? And, and so there, everything you do is filtered around that, and that is what you're building. It's what you put all your energy, your time, your effort into, and that's what you're building. A lot of people do that. You probably know a lot of people who do that. My hunch is, if you have ever pursued that to the highest extent, I bet there's moments where you go, is this really it? Is this really it? I mean, maybe there's some blessing in it, and I bet there is, but is this really all? Are you building your life upon your career? Are you building your life upon your family? Everything is about your family. And listen, that's important, and it's awesome, and it's good, but I bet there's moments where you say, Let's, is this all? Is this all there is? Is, is, this, is this it? Are you building, what are you building your life upon? It is the question. Faith is the ongoing decisions we make in our life to build our life on the foundation of our choosing. Listen, you get to choose what you build your life on. No one's choosing that for you. I'm not choosing that for you. You get to choose. That's what Jesus is saying. You're building a life. One of the variables here is you get to choose where you build it and what you build it upon. Each of us gets to choose the foundation of that. What Jesus is saying is the storms will come. And when the storms come in your life, you know what it's going to do? It's going to reveal the foundation you built your life on. It's going to reveal it. And then you'll know what you built your life upon. Because you get to choose. I get to choose. 
What are you building your life upon? These two men possess two different characters, we see. Jesus called the first man wise. He calls the second man literally a moron in Greek. The word used here is that you're a moron. You're missing it. The Greek word for foolish here is that. One is viewed as wise, a wise man who wants to build something, a wise man who gets spiritual training, a wise man who faces a storm. The other man is a foolish man who wants to build something, a foolish man who exposes himself to divine truth, a foolish man that faces a storm. Both of them have that. Wisdom in the scripture is the ability to take divine truth and apply it to your life. The fool in scripture is not necessarily the person who lacks information. It is a person who does very little or nothing with what they know, with what they've heard, with what's been passed on to them. Proverbs is full of hearers who play the part of a fool, who hear and then never do. And so it goes in one ear and out the other. It doesn't apply or actually become applicable into their life. They don't do anything with it. And so there are some fundamental differences about the character of these people. And these two people choose two different foundations. What's interesting is when you read this account in the Gospel of Luke, because Luke records part of the Sermon on the Mount, here's what you hear there in Luke chapter 6. Jesus, this is Jesus speaking, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what you're like. And then here's the telling of this story in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 6. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck the house, uh, struck the house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like the one who built his house on a ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and destruction was complete. See, it costs to build on the rock. You can build on the sand fairly cheap. This is where realtor friends will go location, location, location. Location matters. To build on the rock is hard work. It's not an easy journey. To build on the sand takes very little time, very little effort, very little money, very little investment. You can build there. The difference between the two men is fundamentally rooted in the fact that the second man, the foolish man, was building a house for show. The man building his house on the rock was building a house to last. There's a major difference. One builds for show. Look at me, look at me. The other says, no, I want to build a life that lasts, that maybe even outlasts me and has a legacy to it. The second man was not concerned about with how long the house would be there. He just wanted to make sure for however long it was there, people would drive by and look at it. You ever been to Italy? Anyone? If you've been to Italy, uh, maybe you've been to the town of uh, Pisa and you've seen the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I like to refer to it as the Leaning Tower of Pizza because that just sounds more delicious. But the Leaning Tower of Pisa is built a long, long time ago. The problem with why it leans, anyone know why? Because the foundation is kind of this mud and clay and it wasn't solid. And so by the time they got to the fifth level of it, it actually began to even move. And so when they added the other levels to it, it just kept 
slowly over years began to lose an inch here, an inch there, an inch there. They finally had to reinforce the, the side that leans a little bit. They had to put extra weight there. They began to re, kind of reconfigure the architecture. Do you know who can go up in the tower? Nobody. Do you know what that tower's good for? Photo ops, people doing this. Look, I'm pushing the tower. <laughs> um, you know, and people, do, people come from all over the world to look at a tower that they can never climb, that can never be used. It's just for show. It's a tourist attraction. Listen, I know people in life who have built a life, and it's a tourist attraction. And everything's fun, and everything's good until the storms come. And then their life falls apart. And there's not much to show for it. And the tourists stop coming. And they're left alone. And in that moment, they're going, what have I built? Friends, this is what Jesus is saying. You are building a life. You don't escape that. The storms will come, and when the storm shows up, it's going to reveal the foundation that you've chosen to build upon. So build something. A life, a home, a ministry that's not properly constructed on the right foundation really just is a tourist attraction. The biggest contrast in the stories, the two people in the parable, is the results of what was built. It says, one house stood and one house fell with a great crash. So what is Jesus wanting us to learn here? What's he wanting us to see? Notice that in this, if you were to drive by both men's houses while they're building, you would not readily notice a difference. If you were to talk to the men, you would not know that there was a fundamental difference in them. The only time you discover there's a difference between the two men and their lives and the homes or the lives they've constructed is when the storm comes. And in that moment, everything is revealed. See, the truth is, our foundation must be formed before the storms come. You won't pour a foundation when it's raining. You pour it before, or you pour it after, but not during. Because you want the foundation to be sure, to be solid, to be secure. In order for you to build upon it, kind of reminds me of the story of Mark chapter 4, when Jesus says to his early disciples, remember, you'll remember this story, uh, he says, listen, we're going to go to the other side of the lake. We're going to get in this boat, we're going to the other side of the lake. So they all get in the boat, they're going across the Sea of Galilee. There's a cushion there, which is important to note, and Jesus lays down and takes a nap. Okay. All right, you were just preaching a bunch, so you're tired. Okay, take a little nappy, nappy. Disciples are there. A, a squall comes up. What happens in the Sea of Galilee is it's right by the mountainside, and if winds get going, it can actually sweep down the mountain range there and actually stir up the water really bad, almost to the point of eight, ten-foot waves on this sea that's really kind of a giant pond, giant pool in this, and yet it can really kind of begin to stir up, and that's what's happening. And here you have professional fishermen, not amateurs like you and me, professional fishermen who suddenly become scared to death, and they don't know how to get across the lake or across the sea in this moment, and they are fearful. Now, the cushion part is an interesting note. It's not like Jesus took out the travel pillow 
and put it on and said, listen, I'm going to chill here, you guys. We're going to those other, like, okay, um, and crashed out. He had a cushion. There was a place prepared for him. Anyone ever flown international before? If you've flown international before, here's what you know. When you walk onto the plane, you know what they have on your seat? They have a blanket. They have a pillow there. They are ready for you. They are expecting you to sleep. Why? Because it's a long flight. They have prepared for you. That's what the cushion notation is meaning. Jesus is prepared to take a nap. It wasn't like he just dozed off. Hey, guys, we're going to go to the other side of the lake. I'm going to nap. He naps. Storm comes. Disciples freak out. They wake up Jesus. Aren't you concerned that we're going to die? Anyone ever had your kid have a really bad night and come in and like, aren't you concerned that I'm going to die? Like, that's a drastic statement to start with. Okay, can we just say, like, that escalated quickly, Anchorman, okay? So, like, this idea, aren't you concerned that we are going to die? Jesus wakes up from his planned nap and says, where's your faith? Why? What is going on? And the storm is happening all around them. Jesus stands up and says, peace, be still. And the storm literally in Greek evaporates. It's not like it died down and after 20 minutes chilled. No, it evaporates so much so that the water becomes calm. There were waves coming in the boat seconds ago and now it's calm like glass is what's happening in this moment. And the disciples' jaws hit the floor. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't speak to the storm necessarily. He does, but I almost wonder if the peace be still is to the storm and to the troubled hearts of his disciples, who he said before they even got in the boat, guys, we're gonna go to the other side. Here's what happens in storms. Often in the storms of your life and mine, we forget what our Savior has said in the sunshine. And we are captivated by the storm that's raging around us. And Jesus has said, hey, we're going to go to the other side. That's the truth. That's the authoritative reality. We are going to the other side. I'm going to nap. And sometimes we feel like, hey, I'm dialing God in my sudden emergency and I feel like I'm getting a busy signal and maybe he's napping right now. Listen, no, no, no. You have to trust what God has said. We're going to the other side. Not, hey, I hope we make it to the other side. That'd be nice if we get there. He didn't say that. We are going to the other side. Storm comes up and we forget what the Savior has said in the sunlight. It's this truth that our, our problem is not hearing the truth. Our problem sometimes is applying the truth. Let's go to the other side. It's applying it. Where is God in the storms? Jesus said there will be storms. I wish he said that there wouldn't be storms. It would be great for me to stand up here and say, listen, all your storms are done. Isn't that awesome? We made it through a pandemic, sort of. Um, maybe we're done. I don't know if we're done with it. But like, like, I think all your storms are done. I wish I could say that to you. But I'm just going to tell you what Jesus said in John 16, 33. Here's what he said. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Not in your scenarios, not in your situations, not in your circumstances, but in me, Jesus says. In this world, 
you're going to have some trouble. Jesus doesn't pull a punch here. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But you can take heart because I have overcome this world. I'm the one to build your life upon. I'm the one who will get you to the other side. I'm the foundation that you need. I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it and to do it for you. I have come that you may have peace in me that's way bigger than your circumstances. And there may be moments where I'll stand up and say, peace, be still, and there'll be other moments when you recognize I'm in your boat even in the midst of the storm. You are not alone. I'm here. I did not abandon you. When I was a kid, um, my dad bought me <clears throat> one of these inflatable punching bags. Do you ever see these? They're kind of like a clown or they're different shapes or so. And the crazy thing is I was a rambunctious little kid and he said, listen, I bought you this so that you could beat the tar out of it. And I thought, that's the coolest thing ever. Uh, and so, like, it's this inflatable thing, and it stood about yay high, and every day I was just allowed to beat the snot out of this thing. Like, I couldn't do that to my brother. That's a no-no. But I could do it to this thing. And what's crazy about it is every time you would hit it, it would slam down and hit the ground, and then, bing, it would pop back up. You would hit it harder, and it would slam down and hit the ground, and then, bing, it would bounce right back up. Listen, what Jesus is saying, what you have to understand about that clown thing, that inflatable thing, is the weight in the bottom of it is what determined the position it would end up in. The weight was greater at the bottom than it was in the whole inflatable part of it. So when you hit it, it would hit the ground and bounce immediately back up. Even if you body slammed it, even if you kicked it, if you did a flying kick to it, the weight in the bottom was what brought it back up. And what Jesus is saying in essence, is you build your life on me. And the weight of him as your cornerstone, the weight of him as the one who guides your life, no matter what storms hit at you, bing, you're going to pop right back up. You may be bruised in the midst of it. You may suffer in the midst of it. It isn't that we get escaped from that. But it is the reality is that you're going to get back up. Because the weight of Jesus, your foundation, will determine how your life goes. That's what Jesus is saying. You're a builder. You're building a life. Whether you want to recognize that or not, whether you want to admit to that or not, Jesus is saying, build your life on me. Those who build their life on me are not just hearers of my words. They actually put it into practice. So let's fast forward to James, remember Jesus' brother? Remember the fascinating thing about James, especially if you're watching online or you're here and you're skeptical of Christianity? What you have to understand is that James was skeptical too because Jesus was his brother and Jesus was calling himself the Messiah. Could you imagine your brother calling yourself, himself the Messiah? You're like, you know, like that. And, like, and James doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. Like he's not part of the family picture until... Jesus' resurrection. James watched his brother die on a cross, and three days later, he's having breakfast with him. And James goes, uh, yeah, I, I think you're different than just my brother. 
I missed something here. And James becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church. And James goes to his death in martyrdom, not renouncing his faith in his brother, but in his savior, Jesus. You got to know James because Jesus changed his life. And this is what James writes, reflecting back on words of Jesus. He says this in James chapter 1, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently at the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be what? Blessed in what they do. That's Psalm 1. That's Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And here we again, we see it in James. Jesus is saying, I want you to build your life on me. Be a hearer of my words. Be a doer of my words. Follow my example. Live in rhythm with me. And you will be like that wise builder. You will face storms. But your house, your life, your pursuit, it will stand. And it will take you to the end to be with me after it's all said and done. That's what Jesus is saying. So friends, I'm not sure how that hits you. I don't know how that ruffles your feathers or stirs your heart. But I think it's the great reminders. We end the Sermon on the Mount series. A, a time of reflection. Jesus, am I building my life on the foundation that I'm choosing? Maybe even a foundation I'm trying to curate or create. A foundation around uh, my pursuits of life, the pleasures of life, my hobbies, my career, my identity. Am I building my life on all these other things that I want or what the world says? Or am I really building my life on you and what you say? And not just be a person who goes, that, that's really great, Jesus, I appreciate that, that's awesome. But a person who says, okay, love my enemies? Okay, I'll, I'll begin to try to figure that out. I'll begin to walk into that. I, I'm going to be a person who lives this way, everything that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. This is not just for me to know, it's for me to do and to live. And so tonight we want to end with taking communion together. And what we remember in this <clears throat> is Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. What we remember in this moment is an affiliation to say, listen, my faith is built not on my identity, not on my efforts, not on my energy level that I bring to it. My faith is built on the rock of Jesus. It's on his life, it's on his death, it's on his resurrection, it's on his forgiveness for my brokenness, it's on his healing, it's on his wisdom that says, follow me. Everything hinges on him. It's built upon him. And so when we take communion, that's what we're aligning ourselves back to. Is God, I thank you that you're the one I'm aligning to. I partner with you, but that's it. You're the one. You're the heavy lifter. You're the one who's done it all. And I get to build my life upon that fact and that reality.
that it's not up to me to try to make it happen. And so if you don't have communion, we've got a couple tables here. If you're at home, you've got some time to take it. But as you hold this, you're gonna open up the, the bread side first. As we just remember what Jesus did that night as he took the loaf of bread, that as he was gathered with his followers right before he went to the cross to actually prove that his love was legit and that he really was following through what he said and what he, who he claimed to be. And that his love for you would drive him to the cross and hold him on it. In his love for you, the, the father would say, that's enough. And he would rise, raise him from the dead three days later. That's sufficient. What Jesus paid, pays it all. To Tetelestai, it is finished. That's what Jesus said on the cross. And so as he took the bread that night, he passed it to his disciples, to his followers, and said, listen, my body broken for you. It's not about you trying to work and work and work and work. It's about you believing in me. I've done what you could not do, what you're not able to do, but is now available to you. So take and eat. He also took the cup that night. As you peel that side, we remember that he passed that around to his disciples. He said, this, this is the cup, the shedding of my blood for the forgiveness of sins. For all the brokenness, all the, the shame, all the wayward ways that you would make decisions and I would make decisions that are not for our best, not for God's best, certainly on the ways that we fall short. Jesus said, I'm paying the price for that. But I'm willingly paying the price for that because I love you. And I love you enough to stretch out my arms and to stay in a position of, of pain, of torture, of death, because that's what you deserve, but I don't want you to get it. I'll take it for you. And so Jesus hung on that cross and he passed the cup that night and said, this is the cup of, uh, of my blood, my forgiveness for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink. So we're given this ancient practice of remembering Jesus in communion. I think as a way of re-anchoring our souls, maybe refocusing our minds to say, God, I want to build on Jesus. There's a lot of things I could build my life upon. Our world offers tons of things to build your life upon. But Jesus is saying, listen, you want to survive the storms of life. You want to get to the end and actually have the life that you've wanted. Then you build your life on me. I didn't come to abolish the law. Pfft, I've come to fulfill it for you. I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly, Jesus said. And so, Father, I pray as we lean into this last worship song, God, we want to be people who build on the right foundation, the foundation of Jesus. When our world seeks to distract us or woo us away to build upon other things, God, we can enjoy other things, but there's only one that is a sure foundation to build a life upon. That when the storms of life come, they may knock us down, but bing, we're right back up. Because the weight of what Jesus has done for us and in us and through us sustains us. 
So would you grow us as followers of Jesus that depend and build and lean upon him and him alone in all things, we pray.
Father, we want to build on the right foundation of your son. In him, we find everything we need. In him, we live and move and have our being. We worship you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We long to live on that sure foundation. And even when the storms of life come, we might get pushed back, nudged off center, but we don't fall with a crash. We stand with you. You're the weight of our life that holds us. So Jesus, it's in your name we pray. We ask that you would go with us from this place in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Now, hey, if you're here, I'm just gonna invite you to grab a seat real quick. I I know we're ending a little different, but I wanted to take a quick moment just again to say thank you to all of you who give and partner with us financially around here, Um, whether you're online or here in the room. We we do that in a couple different ways. We don't pass a plate here, but we've got a couple boxes in the back. A lot of folks give online, and that's a way that you can partner with us. Even just going, we started our new fiscal year here in July, and and I don't know if you know, if you're new around here, maybe you don't know how all this happens, but like your investment here matters. We gave away over $23,000 last year investing into local organizations, whether that's into new church plants, whether that's Caring Ministries, Gospel Rescue Mission, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Real Talk, like a host of different ways that we're investing into the ministry of what God's doing across our city and everything that we're doing. And so just your partnership in that matters, and you need to know that. Like, it's important. And so thank you to all of you who partner with us and allow us the opportunity to continue to expand that bandwidth to benefit to help people in need uh, within our church. And so we're grateful for that. As we finish up the summer, as we get rolling into the fall, I just want to encourage you to be thinking about, hey, is there an e-group or a discipleship group? One of the things we talk about here is kind of equipping you in your spiritual journey. And maybe you've never been in, like in a discipleship group. And, and really what that is, is like three, four people going through a, a book together of what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And kind of doing some homework and talking about that for quite a few weeks. But you get it done within a year, and it's a great opportunity. We've got e-groups that you can connect to all across the city, uh, and so if you're looking to connect in the community, that's a great way. If you're new here tonight, I met a few of you, uh, we are going to do a 10-minute party right back here. Karen's already there. Uh, we'll do that in about two minutes and two seconds, uh, so I'd invite you to that, and listen, we got the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon just for you. All the people here who come here, they want it, but you actually get it as a guest, uh, and so I just invite you to the 10-minute party, but this Friday, this last Friday, I got to be a part of a a citywide prayer uh, moment for teachers and for schools. And what we recognize is that teachers and schools are going back this week or next. And so we wanted to take a moment tonight and just two things. I want to invite us to pray for teachers and for students tonight, literally. So if you're online, you can do this from home. Uh, If you're here in the room, we're going to do that in a second. And the second thing I want to encourage you to do, we have done prayer walks around. We have two schools that we've pseudo-adopted. And that's part of the money that we give and invest into them. That is John B. Wright, which is two blocks directly east here, okay? If you go back into the little neighborhood, John B. Wright Elementary, it's off of Country Club, I think. Um, Or not Country Club, off of... Yes, Columbus. That's the C. I was trying to think of a C. Okay, C is for, okay. Anyway, C is for cookie. Okay, no. Uh, Cookie Monster. Okay, ADD. Uh, Okay, so... 
John B. Wright Elementary is one of the schools, and then directly two blocks west of us is where we started. It's where Elements launched as a church at Catalina High School. They've got a brand new principal here and a new start to that. So we want to pray specifically for them. We have done prayer walks around them. So here's the simple challenge. I want to challenge you to do a prayer walk or a prayer drive, if it's too hot, around a school that's around you. And to take five minutes out of your life between now and August 1st, you got a week, okay? To say, I want to pray a blessing over this school for the teachers and the administration, for the students and for the families that are there. Now, if you don't have a school around you, I just named two that we're partnered with, okay? So John B. Wright Elementary, two blocks that way, or Catalina High School, two blocks this way. You have a week, friends, to either do a prayer walk around that. And what is a prayer walk? It's where you walk and you pray. So it's real simple. Uh, and like you just spend some time praying. A blessing, you can figure it out, hey, how you want to pray. You're going to pray different than me, and that's okay. We're going to pray now for teachers and students. So if you are a teacher in this room, if you're a teacher online, I can't see you, but please stand up anyway. So if you're a teacher here, I want you to stand. If you're a student going back to school, I'd like you to stand, and I want to pray over you. And so we're going to pray together. So we got teachers standing, we got students standing, and here's what, if you all are comfortable with this, and I guess I didn't ask your permission, so be comfortable. Um, if there's someone around you that's standing up and you just want to kind of put a hand on their shoulder, uh, please do that. If you're sitting down, you can just kind of reach out your hand toward them, and let's just pray a blessing over them, and if you're online, we see you. Not really, but we see you, um, and we want you to know that uh, we're praying for you, and so God, we take a moment tonight to pause and it's just as we did Friday night here, praying on behalf of our city, on behalf of teachers and students and administrators. God, we want to lift up these teachers. What a, what a noble calling you have put upon them. I know the recognition often isn't there. But you see, you've called would you reaffirm? Would you re-encourage? Would you reignite the passion to not just teach material, but to mold, to invest into our children, to the next generation? Would you give them wisdom, discernment beyond their capability, beyond their experience even? Would you expand their capacity to be leveraged for your good in the world, for the good of the city they represent, the school that they're a part of. And God, for these students, we are so stinking proud of them. They're not just the future of the church, they're the present of your movement. So we pray your protection over them. We ask for your provision for them. Would you give them the ability to study beyond maybe what they can get their mind around, to retain information? God, would you bless them with good friendships this year? Would you bless them with significant connections with teachers, with a learning and understanding kind of mind that grasps concepts, takes it in and applies it to life? God, we pray your safety over all our schools. God, it breaks my heart that we got to pray for that. But we pray for that, God. Not just safety physically, but safety emotionally. God, safety mentally. A lot of people struggling with challenges, setbacks they've faced. God, I pray that you would pour in extra grace 
an extra power upon them. And so we pause tonight, and God, we lift up this next school year to you. We pray a blessing over our teachers, over our students, our administrators. God, would this be a year that blesses each one, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Friends, dinner tonight is Black Bear Diner on Broadway. If you want to hang out with us, we'll be there in about 25 minutes for the group that's going. If you're here and you're new, 10-minute party starts in 22 seconds. We'll see you there. God bless. See you next week.